The time has come to get ready for the 2022 World Cup. And what better way to prepare than by revisiting the World Cup's most amazing goals? I'm Brian Phillips. I'm making a podcast about the history of the Men's World Cup, told through the stories of 22 iconic goals. The show's called 22 Goals. It's out now on the Ringer Podcast Network, and we're having so much fun. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, you want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. David? Yes? We here at the Press Box War Room are ready to make a projection, at least as it pertains to cable news. CNN lost. New York Times reports that MSNBC was seen by 3.2 million people on election night, a bigger primetime audience than CNN, and MSNBC's first ever victory over CNN on any midterm or presidential election night. CNN, the Times continues, dropped to second to last among the big news networks with 2.6 million viewers. CBS was dead last. Why did CNN lose election night, at least in terms of ratings? I don't know. I mean, I, I would I would have to be guessing if I was going to make a guess. But I, uh, I mean, I think that it's a midterm election. Obviously, the the national it doesn't have the national attention of a presidential election. Um, and to the degree that people were, you know, amped up, excited to follow. Uh, the results minute after minute as you and I were it's probably a pretty partisan crowd right I mean the people that are really kind of tracking the the you know maintaining or losing the house and the senate I mean that's a those are sort of diehards and CNN as you know continuing to go out of its way to cast itself as you know the most neutral of parties um isn't going to attract one or the other. And certainly, I mean, and listen, we've heard anecdotally over the past, well, infinity years that CNN's, you know, quest to be seen as neutral just seems to do more to antagonize either side than anything else. So that probably doesn't help. But they've done a lot more recently to antagonize liberals, especially. Mm -hmm. Because they basically come out and said, you know, what we did during the Trump era where we had Jake Tapper, Anderson Cooper, Don Lemon, John King, the whole crew, Dana Bash, come out and say, I'm not being liberal on here. I'm being pro-democracy. Mm -hmm. I'm being pro-truth. I'm being not racist. I'm being against all those things. Mm -hmm. 
they've come out and retcon that as being a liberal network, mm-hmm. which one, I think is a stupid idea, but two, I think just turns off viewers who watch CNN in huge numbers during the Trump era. I mean, right. you spent the last couple of months now just saying like, this network isn't for you. This network is for the elusive and perhaps magical viewer that wants BBC America, essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Down the middle news. And you and I were talking about this on election night. All their action on election night visually was at the big board. Jake Tapper standing there with John King. All the personalities, the personality-driven parts of it were at another desk and felt sort of remote from the proceedings. Meanwhile, on MSNBC, where are all the stars? Right there at the desk. Mm-hmm. Right where the camera is. So I'd say it's almost twofold. It's like this kind of bad idea to be less quote unquote liberal and then to do news with fewer stars, both of which seem like bad ideas to me. Yeah. I mean, you know, this isn't the Super Bowl. Um, these are not insignificant ratings, but it isn't, you know, the, 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 the some huge viewership that it's <laughs> really easy to make this, you know, to make broad assumptions about. But I agree with everything that you said. It is true. It was watched by 97.5 million fewer people <laughs> than the Super Bowl. CNN's broadcast. They did do well with um, younger viewers, 25 to 54 year olds. They were virtually tied, according to the Times for NBC, with NBC for second place among that demographic. So that's something. Mm-hmm. But I just feel again, this is this is me being this is me saying, let me take my hobby horse and apply it to every piece of data I see, which is always oh, sure. very, very dangerous with television ratings. But I just think that this seems to be a bad idea. This this is not going to go well for CNN. Well, yeah, I mean, listen, the overall, I mean, every every single thing we know about media is that we or there's a push in a million different directions, but in directions, right? I mean, it's just you you have to find your audience and grab on tight. And I think that um, you know, you can build the audience, you can increase the number of people that are interested in I don't know, listening to a podcast about Game of Thrones or whatever, but you but but you you micro target and then try to expand from there. And CNN's sort of doing the opposite. It's a very sort of old school thing. And it's almost and it and it feels like in an industry that's still trying to like hang on in so many ways, to try to to, to simultaneously be hanging on to the playbook uh feels like the wrong idea. Feels really, really tailored to the air where CNN was the only round the clock news network where there was no internet as we know it, where there were no podcasts, where there was no liberal and conservative network waving viewers in saying, here, come here. You will find people like you, people that are talking about the things you're interested in. It just, just feels like playbook from 1991, which to me is a huge mistake. By the way, we got one question from a listener that I wanted to bring to your attention about some of the terms we use on election night. Oh, this is from Dana Stanley. Whenever a state or district is super partisan, they're described as ruby red or cobalt blue. <laughs> Why those terms? Why not fire engine red or cornflower blue? <laughs> Did you hear cobalt much on election night? I don't remember that one. No, but I would immediately know what it meant. So that's a success, I guess. Also, I watched CNN a few days after election night. 
I'm not sure I saw John King smile through Thursday. He was all business John King all the way up until Arizona and Nevada were called. Absolutely in the zone. Not wavering one single bit. Great work, John King, up at that big board, no matter what the ratings say. Coming up on the press box, why do Democrats hold the Senate with an unpopular president in the White House? We ponder. Trump, David, is going to run for president. Can he do it without his old pals in conservative media? And finally, we revisit the John Fetterman Mimit Oz debate and ask, are political writers good at predictions? All that and more in the press box, a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Hello, media consumers, Brian Curtis, David Shoemaker, producer Erica Cervantes here. First off, David, Department of Corrections, if you listened to our live pod last Tuesday, you may have heard me hinting it might be a big night for Republicans. Mm-hmm. Not so much. The Democrats, despite the unpopularity of Joe Biden, and despite the fact that losses almost always pile up for a president's party in the midterm elections, have held on to control the U.S. Senate before Georgia's runoff is even decided. Catherine Cortez Masto was declared the winner in Nevada on Saturday night over Adam Laxalt during college football, I might add. Mm-hmm. As we record Monday morning, it looks like Republicans will take the House of Representatives, or they're strongly favored to after all those votes from California are counted, but with a narrow majority. So David, as the podcast host likes to say, a lot to unpack here. Why yeah. did the red wave not materialize? Well, I think that the easy and popular and probably not totally an accurate thing to do um, after every election now in a moment like this is to say, well, the the polling is not does not reflect the votership right i mean it's we have a constantly evolving um uh po- national politics and and the people that you know vote change pretty dramatically from election to election and you know it's increasing I mean, you know, in the, in the old days, it was they didn't pull anybody that had a cell phone, right? And that was the big flashing red light. Like that was that was a problem. There's still going to be problems finding the right kind of respondents to to make up the polls. I think that's going to be a big part of it. Um, you know, there's instances of overreporting and certainly of 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 you know energy in the in the various you know in the various electorates. Um, but you know, I, I think that. What we saw, what I saw leading up to it, it just felt like there wasn't a lot of energy, and it felt like there wasn't a, there wasn't a lot of momentum behind um, Democratic voters, and 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 that was that was wrong. Whatever whatever that feeling was, um, certainly wasn't, or at least you know maybe it wasn't wrong. Maybe the idea that you know voting that the big that the you know the, the big national issues that. I thought, you know, should have been made a bigger, the Democrats should have made a bigger deal of. And, and you know, those things are such basic, basic issues to so many people, abortion, human rights, that- Democracy. Democracy, yeah, that it's not necessarily, it doesn't have to be a big, you know, um, uh, you know, public protest issue. It's just a common sense issue, and maybe there's a lot. There's a little bit less energy that sort of permeates from that point of view. So the energy is there, but it's just hidden from us because mm-hmm. because it's we, sort of we de facto, were, right? I mean, it's not. It's just. It's yeah. 
Yeah. And we were hearing, you know, throughout the summer, that was almost funny because there were these big waves of punditry right in the summer. Yep. It's going to be the Dobbs decision. Abortion is going to drive money to Democratic campaigns and it's going to drive Democrats to the polls and maybe create a different kind of atmosphere than you usually have during a midterm when there's a Democrat in the White House. Mm-hmm. Everybody had sort of forgotten that or memory hold that by October. And you got to lie, no, 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 it's inflation and crime. That's why that's why people are going to be driven to the polls. Those will be the issues. Well, it turns out abortion was a very, very salient issue. And mm-hmm. democracy, too. Remember every time Joe Biden would give a speech about democracy, there were two big ones, including one right before the election. And you had the pundit class go, uh, why isn't he talking about pocketbook issues? Mm-hmm. Why is he talking about saving the American Republic rather than the fact that Democrats could raise taxes on the rich? Maybe worked out fairly well for the Maybe wasn't such a stupid idea. The other big idea we got to talk about is the fact that Donald Trump was the showrunner of the GOP midterms. Yeah. Picked candidates. This is the guy who gave you Dan Balduck in New Hampshire. Lost to Maggie Hassan in the Senate race. Gave you Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. Lost to John Fetterman in the Senate race. Blake Masters in Arizona. Doug Mastriano in the Pennsylvania governor's race. Mm-hmm. And that dynamic was fascinating, too. There was a Times piece by Shane Goldmacher over the weekend that talked about how Mitch McConnell fought Donald Trump on many or all of those Senate nominees. Mm-hmm. They were pitched in battle against each other. Whereas Kevin McCarthy, who very much wanted to become Speaker of the House and may become Speaker of the House here in short order, was like, everything you say sounds great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I am lining up behind you because I realize this is my path to the speakership. Yep. So I am going to accept your candidates. Now, Trump prevailed on both sides, both in the Senate and the House. We can talk about some of the specifics in a second. But again, it just gave Republicans this unholy mess of a slate, especially in states that they hope to pick up. Yeah, I think all that's right. I think there was a lot of, um, I think there was a lot of chaos. Um, I think there were a lot of kind of conflicting voices. I think there was a huge lack of organization from the top, which the pre everything you said and the two things I said all sort of go to that. Um, and I, I, you know, and I think that there was frankly, an overestimation of the kind of baseline forces at work midterm elections are going to pick up so you know pick up seats so any any you know bonus energy any bonus that you know in, in any any polls that look good is just like you know just signal a red wave um and that clearly wasn't true um and you know, you can gauge your, the energy of your voters, right? I mean, you can you can probably have a p- pretty good handle on turnout in certain districts and certain states. Um, but, you know, there was clearly something larger at work here. And maybe it was as simple as like, you know, maybe it was uh, Trump's hand or just the specter of Trump turned people off. You know, we're hearing that a lot. And maybe it was, I saw, I saw a couple people point out right after the election, you know, maybe just that, this sort of national platform of just sort of not even low key, high key meanness and cruelty is not a thing that's really going to um, win you a lot of national elections or a lot of, a lot of elections in general. So, I mean, I, I do think that, that despite the fact that we've been 
sort of banging this drum for as long as I can remember. Um, you know, I, I think that that the Republicans might be having a real sort of not just identity crisis in terms of who the leadership is, but platform crisis in terms of what dog whistles are going to be able to get them across the finish line. Well, a lot of mixed metaphors there. <laughs> we'll take them all. I love how every important election now seems to take three or four days to clarify itself. When I say this, not as somebody who's mad at them counting votes, I, I actually enjoy the process. And part of what I enjoy is the fact that we have these media stars who are interesting all year long, but they are particularly interesting when they are the ones who are telling you about the votes that are coming in, mm -hmm. in a particular race. I refer you to John Ralston of the Nevada Independent, who has been kind of the face of several very, very close and interesting <laughs> elections in Nevada mm -hmm. over the last few cycles, a longtime columnist and reporter in Las Vegas. And as those Cortez Masto Laxalt returns were coming in, it was just refresh, refresh, refresh. He was just kind of like not only providing information about you know, it looks like, you know, Cortez Masto is going to take the lead when Clark County comes in, but also kind of coaching everybody through the emotional process of waiting for them. Mm -hmm. uh, the other one that really caught my eye was Garrett Archer, who works for the ABC affiliate down there in Phoenix. I don't know if you've seen him. He is the, he is the guy who has the count as his Twitter avatar, as in the count from Sesame Street. Yeah, I'm familiar with the count. <laughs> and it's... He doesn't even have his name in his uh, Twitter handle there. It's in his handle, but not in his, his, I guess, official Twitter name. It's just the Arizona ABC 15 data guru. Mm -hmm. So you logged on on Wednesday, Thursday, even Friday, since we're still watching the governor's race there. And there would be the count just giving you a batch of votes from Maricopa County. And I'm looking at this and I'm completely dazzled, but I don't actually understand what this means. <laughs> you know, just like, I'm just kind of, uh, uh, yeah, but it felt so compelling. It was like, oh my gosh, the, the count is back mm -hmm. with another vote dump. Is Katie Hobbs going to win the governorship? Is Mark Kelly, are they going to call the race? Yeah. It's sort of like performance art. If you don't really convey anything and the audience doesn't really understand anything. But it's it's hard data. I mean, like he's I think he's he's just saying, like, here are the votes. Like I am just yeah. telling you the votes. And I think he's I saw him tweet over the week that I don't try to make predictions I'm doing it. I'm just giving you raw data. Yeah. But we can but like be mesmerized raw data, by raw data. Right? Like raw data <laughs> yeah. that no average human can comprehend, right? I mean, if you're if you're just like like here's 223 votes, you know, I mean, without any context, it's really kind of meaningless. It's almost like, like and it's not just him. A lot of the even when you watch you know, Kornacki and John King on election night. There's a lot of performance to that too. It's almost like, you know, Kornacki does some horse racing stuff. It's like watching, a, it's like watching well, the horse. We watch what, three horse races a year. And the announcers, when you watch a horse race are borderline unintelligible to the people that watch horse racing all the time. <laughs> they, they understand fully. Yeah. But to you or I, it's just like, it kind of adds to the adds to the soundtrack of what we expect, right? And it's and it, and you catch like one out of fifteen words, and you're like, "Yes, I'm I'm right there with you," you know. But it's not informative in the way that one would expect that to, be, you know, that is such a production to be. Another big uh, character who comes out this time of year, like the guy calling the horse race, and in this case, it's literally true, is Dave Wasserman, 
at redistrict. Mm-hmm. Now, on election night, Dave Wasserman is working, I believe, on the NBC decision desk. So he's not out calling races. Mm-hmm. But as soon as election night is over, he is sitting there monitoring and wait, waiting to break out his catchphrase, I've seen enough. Yeah. And declare winners, usually which are a few steps ahead of the official AP or network declarations. Mm-hmm. And if you watch any of these races that people are gripped by, especially Arizona governor today, people are every time there's a new vote vote batch, they're like in in his mentions, like do the line, do your line. <laughs> <laughs> Please call the race. Because I would like to see you. I would like you to give me the result of the race, especially if it's where I want it to go. Right. I also saw Politico's Jonathan Martin talking about this. This is our uh, every two year civics lesson about counties in America. Mm-hmm. Would you know that Reno was in Washoe County <laughs> without Washoe County being a big deal during American elections? Oh, absolutely not. Would you know that Las Vegas, say you and I have been to a number of times, was in Clark County? without American elections. Would we know Tucson is necessarily Tucson? Great city. Would I necessarily, I've been there many times. Would I know it's in Pima County? No. No, well, that cr- constant election night reminders. Crossword puzzles may, if you do the crossword every mm. day, you might be familiar with Pima County, but you no, know, but for, you know, generally no. A couple of other funny notes from the Republican Senate candidate uh, gallery. I earlier referenced that piece by the New York Times of Shane Goldmacher. Here's a quote from it. During the summer, Stephen Law, the head of a McConnell-aligned super PAC, dot, 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 said Mr. Masters, that is Blake Masters, Republican candidate in Arizona, had scored the worst focus group results of any candidate he had ever seen. If you were looking at Twitter after Blake Masters was declared the loser in that race, by the way, you saw lots of... People coming for McConnell saying you abandon Blake Masters. <laughs> you were taking money and putting it into Alaska. No, I mean, I think, that, well, that may, there may be some truth to that, but I, but I saw more Blake Masters commentary on both sides after he lost the election than I saw during. Now, there I saw plenty of Blake, Blake Masters, you know, commentary d- during their run up to the election, but all kinds of sort of like indirect, People, people on Twitter who weren't directly invested in the race, you know, weren't Arizonans or you know whatever, um, or, or or you know, super active political accounts were had suddenly discovered that weird that oddball video of him like shooting a the James Bond gun with the silencer out in like the empty like an empty rock quarry, you know, and just like I think that that you know, and that, I mean and and listen, that's easy to laugh at. Whatever. I mean, there's a lot of just weirdness to his campaign in general, and certainly his his just totally self contradictory platform switches and everything else, and just you know inane um, stances. There's plenty of jokes or plenty of you know comments to go around, but I think that the more focus, the more attention that you put on Blake Masters, the worse candidate, the worse a candidate he is. And I think McConnell might have been doing him a favor to not to not put a bunch of extra money over there. He's almost a better kind of stalking horse than he is a real candidate. Turns out that was, uh, that described a lot of the Republican Senate candidates in this cycle. There's been some um, recriminations for McConnell that have gone beyond Twitter. A number of Republican senators saying, let's delay 
the Senate leadership elections until after the runoff in Georgia settled. See if Senator Herschel Walker will be among the voters in that election. Uh, Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas stepped forward, David, to defend his fellow senator from Kentucky. Listen to what he said Sunday on CBS. <laughs> the, the great wrestling champion Ric Flair used to say to be the man, you got to beat the man. And so far, no one's had the nerve to step forward and challenge Senator McConnell. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, Ric Flair did say that a good bit. I think it would have been better if he had gone with the uh, other equally great Ric Flair line, which is, my shoes cost more than your house. Um, (laughs) Might be a little bit more indicative of Republican politics in 2022. But but, um, yeah, yeah. I've immediately after the election, there was all these there were all these calls for Trump to not declare his candidacy until after Georgia had been decided so that if there be you know if there's a runoff which there will be a runoff because they didn't want to make the runoff all about the Trump presidency et cetera et cetera it did but it did and and that makes sense right but it does seem like now it's just a litany of well let's put off this thing until this thing that just sounds like a lot of excuse making right yes. it's sort of just like David, did you do your taxes yet? And you're like, no, because I have to, like, I'm waiting for the, uh, for, uh, I have to, first I have to talk to the accountant and then I got to wait for the forms to come in, but I have to request that it's, it's all just BS, right? So it's, uh, yeah. It's something you don't want to happen. Mm -hmm. So you just invent reasons why it should happen at a later date. This happens when you and I have to like send an email or make a phone call we don't want to do. Yeah. So we're like, you know, it'd be better if I did that after my family went away for Thanksgiving and I came back. Exactly. And it's like, no, no, no. What's the problem here is I just don't want to send this email, make this phone call, do whatever it is I have to do. Yep. That describes a Trump candidacy. Now, see, David is um, uh, the Daniel Dale of the press box when it comes to pro wrestling references. So everybody, you heard him there. Fact check. True. Ric Flair did say to be the man, you got to beat the man. (laughs) The second biggest story this week, David, from the world of politics is Donald Trump. He is set to announce that he is running for president again, trying to pull a Grover Cleveland in 2024. There has been some chatter, as you say, about whether that announcement should happen. (laughs) Pull a Grover Cleveland sounds like an injury. Was it it was him, right? Yeah, but that just, it just it just doesn't sound like the thing that it's supposed to sound. Pulling a Grover <laughs> Cleveland sounds like a like a like a, an injury to a part of the body you don't want to talk about okay. out loud. Well, he may pull. <laughs> he may in fact pull a Grover Cleveland uh, if he tries to run again. Maggie Haberman tweeted about the timing of the announcement. There is a renewed discussion among some Trump allies about trying to get him not to announce. That is dot 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 not likely to succeed. <laughs> So, of course, it seems a little strange when you are the face of a bunch of losing candidates in the midterms Mm -hmm. to then come out and say you're running for president. Though, of course, in Trump world, we've been through this, right? I need to appear strong at all costs. I need to deny whatever you think happened just happened. Right. So that's got to be his thinking of why he is announcing right now, not to mention I'm in some legal jeopardy and maybe me running for president could push back some legal problems I have somewhere into the distant and hazy future. Is that why he's announcing this week? Well, I mean, I think it's that that was sort of my general assumption. It's not just, yeah, it's not kicking the can down the road so much as it is just setting up the plausible deniability defense, right? Anything that happens 
Well, anything that's already happened is already a partisan witch hunt, right? But certainly anything that happens after you declared your candidacy is a mm-hmm. an attempt by the establishment to stop you from from running, from having, you know, et cetera. Certainly from becoming president. Um, yeah. And that's what I said. I think I said last week or the week before that he's, uh, to use the wrestling phrase, he's going to work himself into a shoot again. If that's the motivation for, I mean, certainly there must be a lot of ego involved too and feeling that he was robbed <laughs> and he needs to do it. Yeah. No, but if, but if that's the, if that's the motivation, then, you know, you got to, you got to remember, I mean, remember how sick Trump looked when it turned, when he realized he was president for or t- two years, whatever that was <laughs> six years ago. Yeah. Six years ago, by the way. He's gonna be he's Jeez. gonna be sick all over again. I mean, he he risks being sick all over again because he's he's you know you gotta you can't just be president because you want to stay out of jail. Although weighed against try, running for president to you know hype up the brand of your of your hotel empire, uh, I think trying to stay out of you know, prison or whatever is a better motivation to run for president than just like market awareness or you know, <laughs> but. Still, you gotta, it's, it's, it's gonna be, he's gonna, I mean, he's gonna end up being the nominee, the Republican nominee again. And that's, that's just gonna be chaos. The interesting story for the two of us is that as soon as those midterm elections became clear last week, conservative media in unison and almost with a single voice tossed aside Donald Trump Mm -hmm. and embraced Ron DeSantis, governor Mm -hmm. of Florida, who won his re-election campaign by almost 20 points. The New York Post front page had the headline, Trumpty Dumpty. <laughs> See if you can follow all the interlocking puns here. Don Perrin, who couldn't build a wall, had a great fall. Can all the GOP's men put the party back together again? Uh, today's New York Post front page, deniers denied. Voters punished Trump-backed candidates. The Wall Street Journal, all these owned by Rupert Burdock, of course, Trump is the Republican Party's biggest loser, quoting, since his unlikely victory in 2016 against the widely disliked Hillary Clinton, Mr. Trump has a perfect record of electoral defeat. (laughs) So then the question becomes, does it matter if the New York Post, the Wall Street Journal, lots of, if not all of Fox News is throwing Trump aside and pulling for Ron DeSantis to be the Republican nominee in 2024. Just like I said it last week, the more that everybody sets us up to be a Trump-DeSantis race, the more it works in Trump's favor. Because at a ver- at a bare, 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 bare minimum, we just don't know anything about DeSantis, the national pl- the national candidate, right? I think, and, and, at, and, and I think everything you start to learn and anything else you factor in doesn't go in his favor. Um, Certainly not against Trump. We'll see. We'll see. But I, I, I just, you know, there, there's no way to predict those things. But certainly, I think that Trump, a Trump DeSantis, even if DeSantis is an excellent candidate, I think a head-to-head race work, works out better for Trump than having to put than Trump having to go on stage with 15 other people again. Um, so you know, it's that I think that's a misstep. It also just feels so. It feels like we've been here so many times before. You just wait. You you wait for the one opening to do your, you know, get three people to like make a secret pact. Like I'll do my Wall Street Journal editorial, and you go on Fox News, and 
<laughs> this will show Our him. friend will do this other. Yeah, and then we'll see. You know, someone will write an op-ed in the New York Times. Oof. Imagine if the Times ran that. You know, I mean, and, <laughs> and then we've seen Fox News do this Watusi a number of times as well, right? I mean, they were they were about as anti-Trump as any conservative outlet during the election six years ago. I mean, during the, during the primaries, yeah, during the primary six years ago, but 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 um, did a pretty quick about face. Um, you know, I, I just think it's kind of hard to predict right now based on oh, we don't know who's going to be in Republican leadership in a couple of months. You know, I, it's just hard to it's hard to imagine. I mean, frankly, you know, I think that this is it's easy to overblow, but we don't know what Trump's like legal liability is going to be in a couple of months. You know, I mean, the whole thing is just so up in the air at this point. So the re- that's a reflexive answer, and I think probably an answer that I agree with, that it doesn't matter with Trump, things that normally matter with normal politicians. Mm-hmm. Fox News is against Trump, or let's say elements of Fox News, all these conservative organs are against Fox News. It, it, his salience, his viability as a candidate doesn't depend on those things the way it would for a lot of candidates. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Chait makes the counterargument, New York Magazine where he says, well, here's the thing about 2016. Fox News might have been against Trump, but the conservative establishment was not aligned around one candidate. They weren't saying, no, yes, but Jeb Bush is the alternative, but Marco Rubio is the alternative. They were actually spread out among all those candidates you remember standing on stage with Trump. Mm -hmm. Same thing with January 6th, where there was this brief window afterwards where everybody said, that's it. We're done with Donald Trump. Chait points out, there was no place for lots of conservative media to go then. Because if you said we're done with Trump, that means you were supporting the new president of the United States, Joe Biden, which they were certainly not doing. So his point is, if you have DeSantis having a George W. Bush-like headlock on the respectable organs of conservative media, and I use all those terms advisedly, the respectable organs of conservative media, is it different? Because... They're not picking between Trump and Biden or Trump and 13 other people. They're picking Trump or DeSantis. DeSantis, who has a lot of Trump-like qualities to him, is in a way an alternative. So does that is that a way at all that the media equation has changed here? Well, I mean, it's the opposite of what I just said. So I'm, I'm tempted to say no. But but I, uh, I mean, I, I just don't think that there's a ton of logic to why Trump won, why Trump has had such a firm grasp over the Republican Party. But I think that for all the reasons that he does, I don't think it's a, I, I don't, uh, I, I don't think that you could, use, I, th- I don't think the entire Republican Party united <laughs> versus Trump necessarily means trump loses i mean i just i just don't think it's i i think that he has i think he wields way more power than that and maybe it does i mean maybe you can just shut him out but so far that's not happening right because you can have a million people go on fox news and say trump should you know trump shouldn't have been involved we got to move past trump you can write a million op-eds editorials you can do whatever but unless it's Unless you're, I mean, I think I feel like I said it on the election night. The only, I mean, just unless, as long as you're paying attention to him, he's winning. You know, so I, I just don't know why. Does this really feel that different? Not really. No, I, I can't. I mean, I can't imagine. You have to be banking on 
Trump himself not having the energy, and I don't mean to make Trump's like low energy joke, but you know, it's a, you know, <laughs> you'd have to bank on something being different in the man himself to really for for that sort of change to take place. And also, it's not just Trump; it's how 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 quickly and nimbly all these anti-Trump forces just bend over backwards. It's the second they feel like they might have it wrong. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So I just I just can't see it being that much different if that's the way it goes. Tom Skoka has a good piece in the New York Times today talking about how Trumpism is still the guiding force of the Republican Party, no matter what happened last Tuesday. He has a good line here. If the MAGA movement wouldn't accept defeat in an election, in an election Mr. Trump directly lost head-to-head in 2020, why would it accept defeat in this one secondhand? <laughs> Meaning they, didn't, they did not accept and have said repeatedly that Donald Trump lost to Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. So why are they going to pin Dr. Oz on Trump? Why are they going to pin Blake Masters on Trump? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a pretty good point, at least intellectually, when you think of the movement. A couple of media notes for you here, David. The New York Times has hired Jonathan Swan away from Axios. Now going to be a super team of Jonathan Swan and Maggie Haberman, which is pretty much exactly what you want if you're looking for scoops out of the 2024 Donald Trump campaign. Yep. Uh, also, I have a note about Bob Costa here. If you listen to our live show on Tuesday night, you heard David break the world exclusive story that Bob <laughs> Costa was quoting The Wire on CBS News. Remember those uh, articles that would be written during Trump's presidency, how he was always increasingly isolated? Mm-hmm. And they'd be written like every couple of weeks. And at some point, like... At this point, Donald Trump can only be alone in the room if he is increasingly isolated because we've heard this poured on him so many times. This was a Costa tweet from Friday. Uh, Dark time in Trump's inner circle. Spoke to several longtime friends, donors, and aides in the past 24 hours. Many say he's listening to very few people isolated and mean-spirited about his potential rivals. Several, Several of them say they're tired of his rants and are avoiding him. Donald Trump, David, once again, is increasingly isolated. Hmm. Thanks to listener Doug Giambaresi for that one. And before we get to the overworked Twitter joke here, we should also note that there is a Democratic side to the will he run in 2024 question. And that's Joe Biden. Now, there was a scenario here where the Democrats got shellacked in the midterms. And there was, as they say in the political press, a growing chorus of people telling Joe Biden not to run. Well, that didn't happen. Democrats more than held their own. We know Joe Biden is on a self-described mission to stop Trump and save the country. That was his impetus for running two years ago. Could very well be. His approval ratings are low, as I mentioned. Uh, He turns 80 on Sunday. And as the Times points out, would be 86 by the end of his second term. (laughs) So what do we think the prospects are of Joe Biden 2024? Well, oh, man. I think absent, um, uh, you know, a medical scare or some like really dramatic on-camera gaffe or something, and even maybe including it, I think that... uh, I'm not sure age will be the determining factor in any election with Joe Biden. That said, um, 
you know, I, I don't I don't think it's probably in I mean, I, I don't I don't know if Joe would even in a perfect world really even want to run again. Although, you know, he did run last time and, and thought about running obviously before that out of some kind of vague sense of duty mm -hmm. and um and one can certainly imagine how that would come into play again even at the age you know i mean that sort of whatever headspace you have to be in to feel that way i mean that's i'm sure he's going to be he's going to feel that way or he's going to be able to make himself feel that way again um you know there's a lot of talk a couple of years ago that he would just sort of you know work hand in hand arm in arm with kamala harris and then sort of foist her into the presidency after a couple of years that certainly doesn't seem like anybody's plan at this point in time nope um even if you're like an avid watcher of politics news like some of our listeners are like you and i are i mean you know it's, i think it's pretty fair safe to say or pretty fair to say that pete Buttigieg has had a much bigger role in terms of like what you would expect of a vice president on at least on television than kamala harris has and certainly that i mean i don't think it's I don't think his candidacy is really out of really out of the question um, yet either, despite him being a, a very good soldier to this point. Um, I mean, my guess is if they do, if 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 Biden decided not to run again, Buddha Judge might be the heir apparent, you know. But it's um, it, it, it's it's a tough situation because as much as I sort of halfway made light of Biden's sense of obligation to the party and the country and everything else, it might be more of a reality in the next election than it was in the last one. The sense of duty you're talking about. The, yeah. I mean, I think it might be more important. I think he might be more important. It might be more important that he run now mm -hmm. than it was actually important that he run last time. I think he'll certainly think that way. I mean, if I had to bet, I'd overwhelmingly guess he's going to run again. Yeah. Um, because I think, and I think the midterms are something, if you're Joe Biden, the question was always, and this was the question we heard time and time again about the Democrats in the midterms is what are, what are you, what are you going to point to and say, we did this, we did that, we did this. Mm -hmm. Joe Biden certainly has done things, but I think winning the midterm is another thing he can point to and say, see people there, there is a market for this. There is a, there is a base for this, no matter what my poll numbers say. And also then I, in like with you, I mean, I think with, when we believe politicians about why they run, it's always a little dicey. People mm -hmm. run for president because they want to be president. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. mixed in there somewhere. But I do think there's a non-zero part of Joe Biden that says, I am doing this because I don't want Donald Trump to be president. I think I'm, I think I feel like I'm saving the country by running mm -hmm. for president. And as you point out, that is, if anything, more heightened in 2024 than it was yeah. in 2020 and also yeah. the lack the lack of an obvious heir apparent you know we can throw out harris buddha judge gavin newsom and whoever would but come there was out a, to run finish your thought go ahead. but there, the fact that there's not an obvious person that you could point to and say that person will win the election against donald trump or against ron DeSantis in 2024 yeah i think is another thing that pre that pushes biden back into the race well, I, 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 I tend to agree with you. Um, there was an article in The Hill, unless this, if my cursory <laughs> Google is to be uh -oh. believed, that suggested Biden should um, should replace Kamala Harris with Gavin Newsom and then yes. resign. Th but, this got a lot of election night attention. But the, 
Right. I mean, listen, I think every president as, as the bad takes has Hall every of fame. has every presidency of our adulthood had replace vice president rumors that never uh, clearly never come to fruition. It was going to replace Biden with Hillary, if I remember yeah. 2012 correctly, right? Mm hmm. And I think Dick Cheney almost got replaced or like got fantasy booked replaced about 20 <laughs> times. Um, yeah. So this stuff happens and that's ridiculous. But Gavin Newsom is an interesting. I mean, listen, the, the interesting thing to me is if you think about it in terms of if it weren't if Biden were a second term president. Right. I mean, I think that you wouldn't be talking about and maybe be talking about Gavin Newsom. I, I have a slightly hard time believing it. Um, but I think we'd be talking about, you know. Gretchen Whitmer as just a mm-hmm. shoe in, you know, I mean, I mean, and, and, and certainly other people would be emerging if we were looking at it in a different, through a different lens. Um, so it, it's, it's going to be interesting, you know, I mean, I, uh, whether or not the, the electorate thinks Biden is too old to be elected to a second term. And I think a lot of them will, you know, as someone who spends a lot of time with someone in their seventies, I, I don't think that's out of the question. That, that people would be concerned about that. The voters would be concerned about that. But what's regardless of whether or not that's true, man, if there's any sort of primary competition, they're going to raise that point. And then it just becomes what the entire, entire election is about, both in the primary and in the general. And that's tough. Now, you know, if you're running against Trump, that it's nullified a little bit because he's mm-hmm. not young either. Um, but it's a tough, it, 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 it's, it puts him in a very weird position, you know, coming up in 30 seconds, we revisit the Mehmet Oz, John Fetterman debate and ask our political reporters good at predictions. But first, David, let us do the overworked Twitter joke of the week, where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Send your nominees to at the press box pod where they're always gratefully received. We had a consensus choice this week from listeners Carol, Jack, Michael G., Brandon, and Lanimal. Amidst all the excitement around the election, Donald Trump had a personal moment this weekend. He put on a tux, and he walked his daughter Tiffany down the aisle at her wedding at Mar-a-Lago. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write, well, turns out the Senate was Tiffany Trump's something blue. <laughs> Thanks to everyone who participated. If you can't let Donald Trump have even one moment of peace, congrats. You made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. Ugg has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the golden collection at Ugg.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida. We'll be in New York. You want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. 
As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and one. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. All right, in the notebook dump, David, after watching John Fetterman's victory speech on Tuesday night, which was a little bit after we signed off the air, you might have been in bed at that point. Mm-hmm. I got to thinking about this very interesting piece of data I saw earlier in the night on CNN. It was an an exit poll that CNN had done in Pennsylvania. Now, we know John Fetterman had a stroke in May, has these auditory processing issues, Mm -hmm. has used closed captioning in press interviews and in the debate he had with Mehmet Oz. Mm -hmm. This is what the CNN exit poll said. Is John Fetterman healthy enough to represent the state effectively? These are people who are coming out of the polls after voting. 49% yes, 48% no. 49-48, very close. Okay, now here's the second question they ask. Has Fetterman's opponent, Dr. Mehmet Oz, lived in the state long enough to represent it effectively? Mm -hmm. 43% yes, 55% no. So, yeah, I saw that I saw that poll before we were on the air on election night or I saw those exact numbers. Um I think that, you know, there those are the right questions to ask. That's the right place to be looking. You know, it's a, it's it's an interesting it, it it's um Go ahead. Those were well those were the two attack ads. Yeah. Essentially that were the biggest attack ads. Oz is not from Pennsylvania, he's from New Jersey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then from the Oz camp that Fetterman could no longer was no longer up to being senator, U.S. Mm-hmm. senator from Pennsylvania. I mean, I just go back to this debate. You and I talked about it at the time. People in the electorate who were watching the debate could see the after effects of the stroke. We talked about see those auditory processing issues. Mm-hmm. There was a delay when he was reading the closed captioning and then answering. Sometimes he was grasping and having trouble coming up with the words he wanted to say. There was this big backlash to some of the press coverage to that point after mm-hmm. that debate where you had people saying, you know, look, you were so mad at NBC's Dasha Burns for this remark she made in her three minute story about Fetterman. Doesn't the press owe her an apology that all blah, 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 blah. And as I said at the time, we never heard a political reporter say, or at least a re- reporter from the mainstream media say, John Fetterman can't do the job of being a U.S. Senator. Right. I did not hear anybody make that case. I did hear them say over and over again that people might think that based on the debate. Mm-hmm. So it never got beyond being this 
question that was kind of lobbed out there. Then there was this New York Times story that had New York Times reporters talking to people, including in a grocery store parking lot in Pennsylvania. And again, I don't want to impute motives uh, to the reporters because I think they went out looking for whatever they would find. But let's face it. If you found somebody in that parking lot or wherever in Pennsylvania say, you know what? I was supporting John Fetterman, but I watched that debate and now I'm not supporting John Fetterman. That would have been a very high value answer to go and find because that would have been that would have gotten a lot of attention. Yep. But in fact, nobody they found in the story said that. If anything, people were doubling down who supported Fetterman before after the debate. They were, however, sounding exactly like the pundits saying, you know, I'm worried that other people will watch this debate and abandon John Fetterman. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. If those had been out there, probably people would have found him. I mean, listen, I'm sure there were some people uh, who who felt that way and might have been willing to say that on camera if given the opportunity. But, I mean... Uh, it, it wouldn't shock me to find out if there was a good number of people who were whose whose decision was affected by the debate, or whose at least uh, feelings on the election were affected by the debate. But if that's true, then you have to say that and Fetterman must have had a much bigger lead going into the debate than any of the pollsters said that he did. Yes, was a, a significant amount of people. Yeah, that would have actually tilted the race, and that's what's so interesting to me is I am all for reporters political reporters, all reporters thinking out loud, wondering Mm -hmm. aloud about certain things. We certainly do that as sports writers over here at the ringer. And I'm all for that. I just think as a consumer, you have to train yourself to read articles and listen closely when you hear stuff on TV and say, is this based on anything or is this the reporter wondering aloud? Mm -hmm. Because there's a big difference between those two things. And this whole campaign was full of wondering aloud that turned out not to be true. There was a Fetterman debate. There were those Biden speeches about democracy. Again, pundit after pundit saying, I don't think this is the right idea. This isn't going to land with the electorate. Okay. There was the Democrats monkeying around in the GOP primaries to try to find the most Trumpy and extreme candidate to run against. Mm-hmm. How many times did you hear that, including on election night, by the way, say people say, oh, this might blow up in their face. It didn't. They defeated those candidates by and large. Yep. So just it just one of those things. And again, I would just imply this apply this to everybody in the journalistic profession, which is we are not particularly good at guessing how discrete events like that are going to affect an election. Yeah. We we actually don't know. Now no, it's probably what, what, in our self-interest to say that we know or sort of pretend we know, be like I'm smart guy. But as it but as it turns out, we don't know. No, we really don't. No, it's it's preemptive recrimination, right? It's it. You say those things so that when the when the outcome that you believe that will happen happens, you can say, "See, I told you, I told you, you shouldn't do that thing." I don't think anybody thinks it's a good idea to be doing the, you know, Charlie Brown football technique to to uh, you know try to handpick your uh, your preferred bad candidate in a world where we where everything is so unpredictable I, I certainly hope that's not any sort of like electoral strategy moving forward um but yeah it is it was people saying oh this conventional wisdom that we're all over relying on 
assume, presuming it holds true, then look, here are the things that you're going to regret having done. Well, I mean, it's just, it, it's so dependent on the unknown. And as we've seen the past week, um, the unknown can really surprise you. I think it's easy after an election like this to indict pundits, to indict all political reporters and sort of imply that they don't know what they're talking about. I, I would just say that when I'm talking about this, I'm talking about some of the smartest people to do this. Mm-hmm. The people who are really good at what they do and really study and really listen to people. It's just that I don't think they can predict what discrete events, what effect they're going to have either. <laughs> I don't think any, I don't think anybody can mm-hmm. with any reliability. And again, I take my, I take that evidence as every time there's a trade, dude, we always say, is this going to change the balance of power in the AFC West? Mm-hmm. And we're wrong as many yeah. times as we're right. We don't know. And again, we over here at the ring, we're sports experts. Yeah. This is what we do. And we can't figure that out. Yep. So again, it's not, and again, I don't deny the right of anybody to do this. I mean, that's part of what journalism is. I think part of what having opinions and thinking about these things is, but I just think as a reader, as a listener, as a consumer, you have to pay very, very careful attention is, am I just, is this a wonder aloud moment? Mm-hmm. Or is this that something that the writer or the television broadcaster is pointing at data and saying, this is happening. I can see signs that this is happening or here's some loose pieces of evidence. Yeah. Because if it's not, it's just wondering aloud. Yeah. You know, it's somebody grasping to try to figure out what's happening rather than telling you what's happening. And that's like, that seems like a really important difference. Yeah. There was, we've said it over and over again. There was a, there was a, felt like a stark lack of telling us what's happening in this cycle. And I think if you spend your time doing that sort of thing, then you're doing a disservice to your audience. There was a piece written in the New Yorker on November 4th by Benjamin Wallace Wells. It was titled why Republican insiders think that GOP is poised for a blowout. Mm -hmm. If anybody wants to read a piece about the limits of not only journalists, but the people that are running the elections to figure out what's about to happen, I encourage you to go revisit it. Mm -hmm. It's pretty wild. It's a bunch of pollsters and operatives predicting this glorious Republican victory. Gotta say, I'm not real sure why a Republican would need anonymity to re- predict a Republican victory. I think you'd only need anonymity to predict a big Democratic victory, but okay. <laughs> but they are just spinning out this theory about, you know, why Blake Masters is going to win and why Maggie Hassan might go down to New Hampshire. I mean, it's, and I read it before the election. Let me tell you, it's, it, it was like, oh, wow, this, this is, this is, this is amazing. This is wild. Look at this theory. It was the first piece I thought about an election night because I was like, wait, none of that stuff happened. That was that was basically completely wrong. But there you go. Again, wondering aloud versus something we know is happening. No, you wonder aloud. That's how this stuff's going to go. I don't think it's I don't think it's it's particularly shocking. You know, I mean, it, it we're, people are. We all expected leading up to it something different because we see sort of like group think had all decided on this certain trajectory and it's it you know got to figure out a better way to prognosticate <laughs> than 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 what we've been doing now it's time for a feature that is mostly locked down it's time for david shoemaker guesses the strained pun headline yeah tuesday night's headline about the new man leading cnn was a light in the attic 
Today's headline, David, comes from Semaphore, which is doing some fantastic work on the headline front. Not so much a pun as a very good and clever headline. I'll give you the gist of the story here. The Senate will vote to codify same-sex marriage rights this week. With the midterms over, Democrats are moving forward with a bipartisan bill that would protect marriage equality even if the Supreme Court changes its mind. We're looking for wedding-related puns here or wedding-related phrases. What was Semaphore's strain pun headline? The Senate looking to codify? Yes. Uh, gay marriage. Mm-hmm. Good, by the way, great only in journalism word, codify. Yeah, thank you. Um, Getting ready for a uh, wedding? With this uh, tie the knot, uh, with this ring. Um, uh, uh, mm-hmm. It's uh, going to happen this week. RSVP. So it is uh, scheduled. Um, nuptials, uh, scheduled, scheduled. It's on the calendar. Save the date. Uh, save, save the, the date. Oh, that's the whole thing. Save the date is Semaphore's headline. Yeah, that's great. He is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Production magic by Erica Cervantes. Going to do a little post-election cleanse this week and talk about some movies here in the press box. I'm going to go over to the big picture podcast one of my faves and talk about the new movie she said which is about the reporters who broke open the harvey weinstein story with sean fennessy and amanda dobbins by the way i went to the premiere of that the other night david in hollywood Mm -hmm. if you've ever said you will be attending a red carpet premiere of a movie that is about one of your former co-workers (laughs) jody canner in this case i would not sure i would have believed that that was in kind of a surreal evening Uh, So that's the first part of it. And then Sean's going to come over to the press box and do the top 10 media movies since 1976, a nice arbitrary year that happens to include both all the president's men and network. (laughs) We will have our top 10 along with a bunch of awards. You can be happy. You can be mad, but you'll have tons of movies to watch. I think at the end of that discussion, Shoemaker and I are back Monday with more lukewarm takes about the media. See you then, David. See you later, Brian. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more.